Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, everyone. If you like this podcast, go behind the paywall to get privileged access to the smartest minds in finance. Join the Real Vision community and learn how to become a better investor. Visit realvision.com slash rvpod and use the promo code podcast10, that's podcast10, to get 10% off our essential membership for the first year. Now, to the top analysis of today's crypto markets. SEC enters the chat. The US regulator sues Gemini and Genesis over the very program that put them in conflict. We'll be joined live by the Chamber of Digital Commerce CEO, Perry Ann Boring, to discuss this crypto regulation and lots more. Welcome back to Real Vision Crypto Daily Briefing. Happy Friday, everyone. I'm Elaine Lee, your friendly crypto host and producer. So let's jump straight into the price action for today. Yesterday, we celebrated Bitcoin reaching 18,000. Today, it's above 19,000. Bitcoin is up more than 5% on the day and double digits on a trailing seven-day basis. Interestingly, Bitcoin is making a much bigger percentage move than Ether. We've usually seen the opposite over the past few months. ETH is up about 2% in the past 24 hours. On a weekly basis, it's not far off. Bitcoin ETH is changing hands at 1,400. All right, let's take a dip into the topical news stories in the crypto landscape. Uh, now, remember how Gemini and Genesis have been embroiled in an ongoing battle over Earn. Earn was the yield earning program on Gemini, the crypto exchange, where assets were lent out to its partner, Genesis the crypto lender, two companies with very similar names. I get it, but bear with me. So due to the ongoing market turmoil, Genesis halted redemptions in back in November, effectively locking up some $900 million in Gemini Earn user funds. Since then, a very public battle between the two camps has been playing out on Twitter, mm -hmm, you've read them, and getting increasingly uglier. So adding to the drama, we have a regulator stepping in. The U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission has sued both Genesis and Gemini. Now, luckily, I have a co-worker frantically messaging me at 2 a.m. who's been keeping a close eye on this very story. Ash, I have the right person with me to tell me exactly what's going on. I know you've been looking into this very SEC complaint. Yeah, let's jump right in here, Elena. I just want to go through the complaint, give people a bit of an understanding of what's happening here. Uh, so just right off the bat here, quote, defendants offered and sold the Gemini Earn agreements through the Gemini Earn program without registering the offer and sale with the SEC as required by federal securities laws. So they're coming out of the gate swinging, essentially making the case very clearly, very directly uh, that in the view of SEC, 
these uh, contracts are these are investment contracts. The EARN programs is investment contracts, and these therefore are covered by their regulatory jurisdiction. I just want to keep going through the complaint here and explain a little bit about what's happening. Quote, as a result, investors lack material information about the Gemini EARN program that would have been relevant to their investment decisions. That's important because that's part uh, of securities offerings. You have to make material disclosures. In quote, instead of providing investors with the full panoply of information required by the federal securities laws, defendants have instead only made selective and inadequate disclosures. And this quote here, uh, pretty devastating. It gives you a sense of why they're weighing in right now and coming in uh, so hard. Quote, the U.S. retail investors who participated in the Gemini Earn program have suffered significant harm. So it's right on the tin, Elaine. Uh, in the view of SEC, these are clearly securities. Uh, obviously, that will need to be adjudicated in federal courts. Additionally, there have been significant harms uh, in the view of SEC uh, to the investors in these products. They just come right out and say exactly what uh, you know we've been hearing in terms of their views and speeches. But now, in this case, they're filing suit in the Southern District of New York. This is a pretty significant story, Elaine. Yeah, there's so much happening. But Ash, is there anything that you can tell me about what the broader implication does this mean for the space overall? Like, why should we care? Yeah, absolutely, Elaine. I want to go to the press release here to, to, to just make two important points. First, on this specific case, uh, and then more broadly to answer your question about why we should all care. So SEC says in the press release, quote, the complaint seeks permanent injunctive, injunctive relief, disgorgement of ill-gotten gains, plus prejudgment interest and civil penalties. What they're saying here is we're going after uh, these companies essentially with a whole wide variety of different uh, types of actions. This is pretty significant in terms of this particular suit to these companies in terms of what SEC wants, injunctive relief meaning they want to stop them from offering these products uh, in the future. I don't know if we can put this up on the screen right now, uh, but we've got some tweets here from Tyler Winklevoss uh, that are interesting and that relate to precisely this point. Uh, so this is a, obviously a tweet thread coming out from Tyler Winklevoss. The first tweet in the thread begins, quote, it's disappointing that the SEC chose SEC Gov, that's the uh, Twitter handle, chose to file an action today. This is written last night uh, as Gemini and other creditors are working hard together to recover funds. This action has nothing to further our efforts and help earn users get their assets back. Their behavior is totally counterproductive. A very strong statement coming from uh, Tyler Winklevoss, obviously one of the founders of Gemini. Uh, and then he goes on to say, we look forward to defending ourselves against this manufactured parking ticket, strong language, and we will make sure this doesn't distract us from the important recovery work that we are doing. But seriously, what is the point or urgency here? The EARN program has been shut down for almost two months. Well, in terms of injunctive relief, what the SEC is saying here is in the event that this is uh, they become solvent or they can begin making redemptions again, they're going to seek injunctive relief. In other words, they're going to seek to bar uh, these organizations from participating further in these earned programs. And they're telling you precisely why, because they believe uh, it's a security. You know, in the documents, Elaine, if you walk through it, uh, they actually go through on page 17. We've talked about the Howey test here on this show. It's really fascinating. It's a prong by prong walk through the Howey test talking about precisely why SEC believes it meets the definition of those critical prongs of the Howey test. Now, to get to your other question, uh, which was about how this could have a broader impact in the space, here's a line from the press release that I think is most telling. 
quote, investigations into other securities laws violations and into other entities and persons related to the alleged misconduct are ongoing. They're saying uh, this is something that we're looking at very broadly. If there are other individuals or organizations that have participated in, in activities that we believe violate our securities laws, we're going after them too, Elaine. That's my view, at least, uh, or interpretation of what this document says. Thank you, Ash. I really appreciate you breaking that down for me and why this all matters and how it all marries together. Talking about marrying together, I know that this is not the only development concerning Genesis. Its parent company, DCG, is reportedly looking to raise cash. What is the context here? Yeah, so according to the Financial Times, Genesis owes its creditors some $3 billion. This is new reporting. Uh, we haven't heard that $3 billion number before. In fact, I remember when it was $1 billion, then it was $2 billion. This $3 billion is obviously a huge number. Uh, so its parent company, Digital Currency Group, is trying to plug that gap. Uh, according to sources speaking to the FT, DCG is looking at potentially selling assets from its vast investment portfolio. The FT says DCG's venture capital holdings include 200 crypto-related projects such as exchanges, banks, and custodians in at least 35 countries. The portfolio is reportedly worth around $500 million. DCG previously tried to raise outside funding in the past but failed. Look, Elaine, two notable points here. Uh, first, that in the SEC transaction, and you'll see how these two stories tie together, uh, SEC refers to DCG as a related party. This is uh, important, of course, because it shows that creditors might might, uh, in fact, in one exchange from, I believe, Holland has already done so, go after DCG, the parent company, uh, to attempt to recover debts incurred by Genesis, the operating company. I know this is confusing and all the names sound the same, uh, but it is an important point, and I think it's important for people to understand it. Secondly, just some basic math here. You know, one of the problems with these stories, Elaine, is that the numbers get so big that it's easy to lose track uh, of what matters here. So this $3 billion number obviously is huge, but let's play a game called divide by a million. Divide that $3 billion by a million, you get 3,000. Divide the $500 million in the venture capital portfolio by a million, you get 500. So Elaine, uh, let me ask you this. If you have $500 in assets and $3,000 in debt, uh, is that something, that position that you would want to be in? Obviously, we don't know uh, if DCG has other assets, other ability uh, to raise money from other sources, but the numbers, the numbers on the surface uh, do not look uh, especially optimistic, I think it's fair to say, Elaine. Ash, how dare you make me do a math live on camera? So, okay, I'm going to keep pressing you and ask you about this. What really is the big picture here? So many numbers, so many names. I don't want to get lost in translation. So tell me, really hearing all the things that you've mentioned, what is the big picture here? And why should I care someone being in the crypto space? Yeah, look, it's it's a fair question. I think the, the big picture here is SEC is telling you that all the things that they have been saying uh, right now are going to be filed, uh, that they've been saying essentially over the last several months, many months, uh, are coming out now in lawsuits against major companies in this space, uh, Genesis and Gemini specifically. They're saying absolutely unequivocally, we believe these are securities. Uh, in fact, I believe it's probably reasonable to interpret uh, that this is sort of a, a tipping of the hand about what we're going to see to other toward other centralized earned products in the future. In terms of the DCG excuse me, specific story coming out of the FT this morning, I think you could say the numbers here are just simply growing. Uh, and obviously, based on the assets versus liabilities that we've seen there appear, appear, and we don't know, again, what other sources of funding or what other sources of assets have, seem to be imbalanced, and they seem to be far larger on the liability side than on the asset side right now, Elaine. Okay, Ash, eyes and ears on the ground for us. Um, 
listen, I'm just going to put you on the side a little bit. Keep uh, sitting around here for the end of the show. So I'm going to bring you back in. But for now, I do want to bring in our guest who's so kind to give her um, time to spend a bit of her time with us today. Perianne Bo uh, Boring is the founder and CEO of the Chamber Digital Commerce. Welcome back to Real Vision Crypto, Perianne. Hey, happy to be here. Perian, I think I just want to start off by asking you, in your opinion, what are some of the most pressing regulatory developments for crypto in 2023? Or if there's a certain policy that will really excite the industry as a whole, if there is a significant change, because I feel regulation policy is so crucial this year. Uh, yeah, there's... Um... A lot happening underway <laughs> from the policy perspective, and some of this is going to carry over from the 117th Congress and from the year 2022. Um, as a whole, uh, the co Congress really took a huge step forward in their sophistication of their understanding and policymaking towards digital assets. There was a lot of progress made in terms of members getting more educated and up to speed on the technology and the political issues. So they are better suited now than they were even just a couple of years ago to take action. Um, in the previous Congress, the 117th Congress, there were 80 pieces of legislation that were introduced re um, regarding digital assets and blockchain technology. Um, many of those died, we use the word died, but you know, didn't pass and they'll have to be reintroduced. We are expecting to see a lot of them reintroduced. Um, as someone who used to work on Capitol Hill, I can tell you, uh, not a lot of pieces of legislation that get introduced become law, but they do set the the conversation and the debate. Um, only about two per pieces, two percent of legislation introduced will become law. So let's just talk about the ones that I think are the biggest priority for the 118th Congress. At the very top of that list is stable coins. We have interest from both Democrats and Republicans in the House and the Senate to pass legislation building a federal legal framework for stablecoins. Mind you, stablecoins exist already. Today, they're regulated by the states. Uh, so this would be giving them a charter on the federal level and potentially preempting them from the states. Um, there is a lot of debate about what is the most appropriate step forward. Should the states still continue to have a role of overseeing stablecoin arrangements or not? Uh, where should this license be put? At the Federal Reserve? The Fed wants it. Or maybe the OCC. Um, the OCC in the previous administration um, really looked to bring you know, stable coins under their jurisdiction. They issued a whole bunch of letters, if you remember that. The Biden administration came in and retracted all those letters. Um, the OCC already has jurisdiction to do this. They don't really need legislation to do that. So stablecoins is at the very top of the list, um, but there's still a lot of pieces that are being debated in terms of what that's exactly going to look like. Um, the next um, policy priority for digital assets that is a hu huge debate across all agencies and committees is market crypto market infrastructure. So questions like how do you define which digital assets are considered securities and which ones are commodities? Um, 
the uh, SEC yep. Chair Gensler has been very vocal about wanting to bring the crypto exchanges under his jurisdiction. Yeah. Uh, CFTC already has jurisdiction over digital asset commodities like Bitcoin. Um, so that piece is going to be a huge theme of key actions taken uh, this year. And then the last kind of piece that I would add in terms of what we're following is oversight. So as you know, the House has flipped. Republicans are now in the majority uh, and particularly on the House Financial Services Committee. Oversight is going to be a huge priority for House Republicans. Uh, we are hearing one of the first hearings in the House Financial Services Committee will be with SEC Chairman Gary Gensler. He did not come in for any oversight hearings last year. Uh, many Republicans really want to bring him in front of the committee to scrutinize his approach to digital assets. Um, so we can expect to see oversight activities like hearings, subpoenas, and other things like that. Yeah. So Perian, I'm really um, someone who I would say is more pro crypto. Really happy to hear that um, over in DC that people are getting a little bit more sophisticated with learning about how the crypto policy is all building out. I feel like people in the relevant agencies and the players, people are recognizing more of their names, who to go to for what sort of question, and that really is something that's coming more to light. I feel as I cover crypto on from an hour to hour basis, doing more of this by 50 hours a week. So that's quite reassuring to hear and we'll definitely touch on a little bit about stable coins especially for someone who is british living in america i see what the uk is doing with establishing definitely going ahead with the stable coin so we'll definitely dig a little bit further into that yesterday um uh, before just having this conversation with you i was like i really don't know what to ask perianne because she's over everything and there's so much to learn continuously in the world of crypto policy so the news gods did sort of come up to me and i read uh, i picked up a piece from the politico and the headlines was saying something um like us republicans to set up a, a crypto committee so according to the report um, in political that came out and you can see the headline right here it says that us house republicans are looking to set up a new subcommittee to oversee cryptocurrencies. Incoming financial services chair Patrick McHenry told Political he thinks there's a big gap to fill on the committee as it spends more time in crypto. I think number one is, okay, you said that the whole crypto uh, DC scene is sort of getting more sophisticated with the scene, um, but what do you make of this? Because not only I think more sophistication is needed, but my God, do people have bandwidth for it? What, what do you make of it now that there's this whole incoming crypto committee? Yeah, it's a couple of things. And we launched the chamber um, eight years ago in 2014. So we've been involved in crypto policy conversations on the Hill for almost a decade. And I can tell you one of the biggest challenges the industry has always faced, particularly dealing with Congress, is that a lot of people just don't understand it. If you don't understand the technology, it's going to be very hard to make policy related to this technology. So the fact that we now have a subcommittee and the House Financial Services Committee dedicated to digital assets shows that we are a priority. Digital assets mm -hmm. is a top priority for the 118th mm -hmm. Congress and particularly for Republicans. Patrick McHenry has done extensive work already in this space. Um, he has introduced and co-sponsored a number of pieces of legislation. I mentioned there were 80 pieces of legislation introduced last yeah. Congress. There's a number of those that we support and would be very positive developments for the industry uh, that he played a critical role in getting introduced. So we, you know, we have great support from the chairman, 
Um, and then creating the subcommittee shows and really demonstrates by action that crypto policy will be a priority for this committee. Um, just a little bit of history about this committee. So we are, the, the Financial Services Committee already had a FinTech committee and crypto mm -hmm. has been a part of those conversations. But now that it is a subcommittee on digital assets, financial technology and inclusion uh, shows that this is even a bigger priority. Um, some of the um, uh, other things to note about this subcommittee is that it will be chaired by Representative French Hill. Um, French Hill has been a supporter and a proponent of CBDCs, less focused on cryptocurrencies specifically. Uh, so I think that's an interesting choice. And uh, I think the jury's out in terms of how uh, this committee will focus on cryptocurrency, given that the person leading it is more focused on CBDCs than crypto. But the vice chair is Congressman Warren Davidson, who I don't believe is a proponent for CBDCs. So it may be interesting to see how they work uh, together. But Congressman Davidson is truly a freedom fighter, uh, someone who is a big believer in Bitcoin, big believer in crypto uh, because of critical um, elements of this technology that allow people to preserve privacy and other things that really align with American values. Uh, so uh, I think this is a positive development overall, but it really shows that crypto is going to be a big priority, not only for this committee, but for this Congress. Hey, everyone, we're going to take a quick pause and hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. No, I, I honestly, when that article came out and I knew I was going to have you in the chair today, I had just so many questions for you because you know who the relevant players are. You know who co-authored and wrote what and you know what the, who the real key players are in D.C. So the U.S. has a dual banking system. Uh, I was reading, meaning digital assets can be regulated at a state level and a federal level. The U.S. is big when it comes down to who makes decisions and who does what. Different U.S. governing bodies, the SEC and the CFTC, are squabbling over power and responsibilities. Uh, I, whilst it sounds everything is getting a little bit more into place, what happens if they don't get their act together is my question. Well, where we are right now, the the challenges for the industry is regulatory clarity. We have a lot of cooks in the kitchen. There's a lot of agencies that have jurisdiction over different parts of digital assets. SEC, they have jurisdiction over digital asset securities, but we don't really know exactly you know, which digital assets are securities and which ones are not. Mm -hmm. uh, CFTC, they oversee digital asset commodities. We know Bitcoin's a commodity, but we don't really we don't really have specific clarity around many others. They point to the Howey test, but they still don't give you specific clarity. Um, Treasury, um, IRS, you know, tax, FinCEN, anti money laundering, Bank Secrecy Act. Um, you also have uh, you know DOJ. Uh, we've seen a number of actions from the DOJ in the space recently. Uh, consumer protections like the CFPB and the FTC. 
Um, so the bigger challenge for this industry is having regulatory clarity, which is why there's been a huge focus on Congress, um, because we really need Congress to ultimately create the taxonomy for which agencies are going to have jurisdiction over what types of digital assets and what type of activities involving blockchain and providing you know, the framework so industry knows how to follow the rules to the road. Uh, there's a lot of companies, a lot of members that we represent at the chamber that don't believe they truly understand how the laws apply to their business models. And because yeah. of that, you know, they don't really want to do business here because they don't want to accidentally break the law. So they're taking their business into other jurisdictions where they do have regulatory clarity. So that U.S. competitiveness piece is really important. And more people are starting to understand that digital assets are a global market, and it's important that the U.S. is competitive globally. Um, one uh, piece just to back this up is that the CFTC, the Commodity Futures Trading Commission, just um, announced their uh, global markets uh, advisory committee. And uh, I've been appointed to that as well as a handful of other uh, people from the crypto space. And the CFTC very much understands the global dynamics of the crypto markets. And they're looking to uh, the digital asset industry to engage with them to ensure we have laws that allow US businesses to grow, invest, and develop blockchain activity in the United States. Um, yeah. So that that continues to be the, the you know the big theme uh, through all of this, but there's a lot of work to do uh, to get the legal framework for U.S. businesses to truly be yeah. able to you know to build the build the rails yeah. for the yeah. You know, and I'm glad you're you're putting in the work for us, Perianne, because it reminds me of a conversation um, earlier on from this week where Ash was talking to people from Deloitte. And I think I picked up the very quote, you know, corporate America is definitely benefiting from this blockchain um, innovation and industry. And that is something that we have to continue the dialogue to understand to the powers of DC about why we have to continue moving forward in this space and quickly as well. So regulation can be ironed out so people can move uh, forward and businesses can be built in America. Um, okay, I want to touch quickly a little bit about um, a tweet from the chief legal officer from Grayscale, um, Craig Salm is his name, and he tweeted out, um, Grayscale will soon file the next brief in our suit challenging SEC's decision to deny GBTC conversion to a spot Bitcoin ETF. The case is moving swiftly. While timing is uncertain, oral arguments may be as soon as Q2, final decision in DC. Um, anything that I can have as a comment from you on that? Yeah, absolutely. So we're following this case very closely. We signed on to an amicus brief in this case and encouraging uh, the courts to move forward with bringing a spot Bitcoin ETF to market. This uh, particular case really shows the doublespeak at the SEC. On one hand, you see comments from the chair and other people at the SEC saying it's essential that we protect consumer uh, uh, investors, particularly retail investors. Um, however, they have blocked every attempt over the past 10 years to bring a spot Bitcoin ETF to market and any other type of crypto ETF uh, to market. So why is this so important for the retail investor? Well, if a retail, you know, for, for retail investors, if they want to buy, you know, cryptocurrencies today, they cannot invest alongside th their 
their financial advisors with the support and advice of their financial advisors through their brokerage accounts. They have to leave their brokerage and go to crypto exchanges. Not that we have anything against crypto exchanges. We have amazing crypto exchanges in the US that are regulated, but there are trillions of dollars worth of investment money that's managed through brokerages. And many people are most comfortable investing with the advice and alongside their financial advisors. So it leaves people to navigate this space completely on their own. And as you know, there's many unique features to digital assets, like having to custody your own private keys. And if you don't know how to do that, you can make critical missteps that could lead to losing your entire investment. Um, so it really has been a conundrum why the SEC will not allow crypto regulated products to come to market. And on top of that, the SEC has held Bitcoin to a completely different standard than other existing commodity market ETFs. And we believe the SEC has not filed the Administrative Procedures Act in the way that they have handled Bitcoin ETF. So that's why this has gone to the courts. Um, and ultimately the courts are gonna decide uh, and we believe Grayscale has a strong case for these reasons. Well, Perianne, speaking of the SEC, I do want to get your take of uh, what I spoke to Ash a little about earlier about our top story today, this whole Genesis DCG Gemini saga. Do you have anything to say to those? Yeah, so the the legality of these yield products is something that has been a debate amongst lawyers in the digital asset industry for uh, many years. Um, you know, some, we have people on all sides. Um, if you guys remember last year, Coinbase, which is a publicly listed digital asset exchange in the US, they um, proactively went to the SEC and asked the SEC for approval to bring a product like this to market and the SEC said no. Uh, they were not very happy about that. <laughs> they wrote a blog about it and it was all over the news for a couple of weeks. Um, there's other companies um, who have offered yield products uh, who have moved to only offering these products to accredited investors to protect against this exact claim that these could be unregistered um, securities. Uh, Gemini's position is that as a New York Department of Financial Services trust company, so regulated by the state of New York, um, that they are allowed to borrow client uh, funds who, who opt in to such a program. Um, so we may see uh, some of these jurisdictional challenges between the states and the feds. Um, very similar debate that we're seeing with stable coins, right? Where a lot of those stable coins are actually regulated by the New York Department of Financial Services. And now you have members of Congress and the Fed that wants to preempt them and bring it all under the Fed's jurisdiction. Um, and then, uh, you know, the other piece is, is why now? You know, you mentioned mm -hmm. uh, Tyler's tweet, you showed his tweet, and I'm very sympathetic to what Tyler said. Um, you know, over a year ago, the SEC told, toy, told Coinbase, no, you can't do this. Um, so if, if this is the SEC's position, 
why have they gone so long in bringing in action? If they really felt that investors were at harm, why doing it today? So I think the timing is suspect. It seems mm -hmm. politically motivated uh, by Chairman Gensler. And, and, and now because of this action, it's going to make it even more difficult for those investors to be made whole. And then just the last thing, I'm, I've seen some headlines today saying that um, uh, people are uh, seeing evidence that in the BlockFi settlement, now that company is you know, going into bankruptcy, that um, the SEC is going to be paid first. Remember, they had a settlement, $100 million settlement with the SEC last year, um, and that the SEC is going to be paid first over retail investors. So if the SEC is really working to protect retail investors, why are they putting themselves first? That's my biggest question. An industry that is just so starved for clarification. Um, okay, so mentioning about retail investors, I do want to talk a little bit about another headline that has brought to our attention and a lot of people talk about it. So Crypto.com cutting its workforce uh, by 20%. The Singapore-based exchange Crypto.com has announced mass layoffs. The company is cutting 20% of its workforce just days after its rival uh, Coinbase, US-based, announced similar big cuts. The Crypto.com CEO blamed ongoing economic headwinds and the FTX collapse for downsizing. I just want to maybe bring in my friend Ash. Ash, um, can I get Ash back into the chat? Ash, we've covered this story, so many similar headlines. Maybe just take a quick take from the both of you. It's sad when you read stuff like this, Ash. Well, Elaine, I think you said it very well. Uh, obviously, the space right now faces some secular headwinds. Uh, we're seeing that reflected in some of these employment actions, uh, crypto.com being just one. We heard it from Coinbase uh, as well. Look, I think it's interesting, though, the language that you read there, ongoing economic headwinds. That's the sort of language that you hear from traditional Wall Street banks. It's often the language you hear before people are about to get laid off at big banks. So again, uh, this is a, this is a sort of a broad secular movement happening in the space right now. Interestingly enough, uh, the recent price action last few days seems to be defying, ignoring, uh, pick the word of your choosing, uh, this sort of, sort of general framework that we're seeing uh, kind of creeping up in many different ways, Elaine. And Perianne, I know this is a different, you know, area of expertise in, in crypto, but if any, any comment from you as a CEO yourself? So I have a sticker on my computer that says, we survived the crypto winter and it's dated 2018. <laughs> and uh, a friend of mine gave that to me. So, uh, you know, first thing I would say is that the, the digital asset industry, it, it, it's a nascent uh, technology ecosystem. And so it is normal to see high volatility when you have a lot of startups. We're in a phase of experimentation. It is not clear what the future of this ecosystem is going to look like. The industry is literally rebuilding the way we transact across all asset classes. There's going to be a lot of winners. There's going to be a lot of losers. There's going to be a lot of experimentation. There's going to be successes. There are going to be failures. Um, and so we have gone through, this is my third crypto winner. So we will come out of this. We will learn from this. There will be companies that get stronger, who bring better, more relevant products to market. This is a part of being in an innovative ecosystem. And you know, it's important that people understand that. You know, going into it knowing there's going to be very high highs and very low lows. 
Volatility, crypto, very well said. Thank you for that. Um, I do want to bring back something that you mentioned right at the beginning of the show where we talked about CBDCs is I mentioned that the uh, the UK government is going with it. They are moving ahead into the stable coin space. And I, well, actually, I didn't know that the, the US has, I didn't, I didn't uh, think that the US has made their decision on introducing a CBDC or not. Can you fill me in a little about a little bit about that, that for CBDCs in the US or 2023? You know, are they the answer for lawmakers in the US? So how are how is the US, you know, treating CBDCs in 2023? There's a lot going on in CBDCs. So um, we talked about yes. Congressman French Hill. So he is the um, a member of the House Financial Services Committee is going to chair that subcommittee on digital assets. Last year, he sent a letter to the Department of Justice requesting an assessment on whether or not legislation is needed for government to issue a CBDC. There are many members of Congress whose position is the Federal Reserve does not have the authority to create a CBDC, which means Congress has to pass legislation to do so. Uh, so that is an absolutely critical step that must happen in order for a digital dollar to, to, to come to market. And we're still waiting for the DOJ's assessment on that, but we have seen lots of members, um, particularly Congressman Tom Emmer, be very vocal about you cannot move forward without us giving you the jurisdiction to do so. So while that kind of legality has been uh, underway in Congress and with DOJ, the Fed has been moving forward with pilot programs. Um, there's a, no a number of experiments and pilot programs underway, um, particularly through the reserve banks um, that are starting to experiment, do research, study, and really understand uh, CBDCs. But I think we are many, many, many years away. Um, and you've got this critical hurdle of getting that congressional authority to do so. You know, despite hearing how many years we've got, how far we've got to go, just hearing cryptocurrencies in the dialogue with the DOJ, I know that actually we've come very far at the same time. Hey everyone, we're going to take another quick break and hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back to the Real Vision Crypto Daily Briefing. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Um, another story that I wanted to pick up and touch upon is Alameda liquidators get liquidated. So now we all know that crypto can be very unforgiving. That proved to be true even for highly paid liquidators of Alameda Research. You can see the headline there, the trading company founded by SPF Sam Bankman-Fried. According to data from Akram, cited by the block, Alameda liquidators lost 72000 on DeFi lending platform Aave. This happened when the liquidators were trying to close the position. Unfortunately, Unfortunately, they first removed the extra collateral use for the position. That put them at risk of liquidation, which Akram says happened twice in nine days. For Aave wrapped Bitcoins were lost in the process, worth some of $72,000. I'm going to bring in Ash for this one. Ash, what do you make of this story? 
Yeah, I don't know what to make of it. I don't know how significant it is. It's interesting, I guess, because, you know, it's basically saying, as you said, Elaine, I think quite rightly, uh, that a highly paid liquidator who should be sophisticated in this sort of thing, if they're going to be serving in a liquidator function, uh, lost this. At the end of the day, uh, it was for wrapped Bitcoin, uh, not a huge amount of money, $72,000, obviously a huge amount of money for an individual, uh, but not necessarily for, uh, for a liquidator. Look, I think that the bigger overarching point that this story makes, and the reason why we're talking about it today, uh, is that DeFi is not intuitive. Uh, it's not the sort of thing that your mom, uh, for most part, is going to want to use to uh, to get yield on something. It's just, it's right now, it's still in its infancy. Technology is extremely, extremely exciting, extremely promising. Uh, but as of today, there are definitely some user interface, user experience issues. Although you can see, uh, as you look at this technology, just where the future might hold and the power of decentralization, Elaine. Yeah. And when we talk about the FTX debacle as well, you know, Perianne, I do have to ask you, I was reading on Coindesk yesterday, um, some comments from a congressman, Jim Himes. And, you know, what really stuck out to me as a quote was, shields are up. So from someone who is in the thick of DC, I really just want to ask you, after the whole FTX thing, uh, what is the temperature like in DC at the moment to push forward crypto regulation after that whole debacle? The FTX situation has absolutely been a setback for the entire industry uh, because of how high profile this is. There are many members of Congress that have taken big steps to distance themselves from the industry. Uh, there's members of Congress who are, you know, not taking meetings with crypto companies who, uh, you know, don't want to come to crypto events. Um, however, over the past couple of weeks, uh, now that a couple of months has gone by, we're, we're seeing that to kind of tone down uh, a little bit again, as we've really reinstated some of those critical narratives that SPF was obviously a bad actor. This was fraud. This wasn't a crypto crypto um, crime, this was fraud, and that no industry is, is immune from fraud. You see that in, in every industry. Uh, so it, it's definitely been a setback. It's definitely uh, had uh, policymakers, particularly members of Congress, want to distance themselves from this because of the bad PR around it. Uh, and then it's really given a lot of fire to the regulators to move forward with their regulation by enforcement. Mm. Well, Perianne, uh, before this conversation wraps up, I do want to sort of ask you, you know, you are the founder of the Chamber of Digital Commerce. Tell people what you guys do over there, what you guys have installed for 2023, and what aspects of, of crypto are you most excited about? Yeah, so we host uh, a conference every year in Washington, D.C. called the D.C. Blockchain Summit. Uh, we're hosting the next event on March 21st, 2023. Um, this will be um, just, uh, just a couple blocks from Capitol Hill. This is really crypto's day. It's really the industry to have their day in D.C. So many times the narratives are shaped around this industry, and they come from an area of misunderstanding, fear, criticism, skepticism. So we are bringing in some of the top brand names uh, in this space to talk about what they're doing that's actually benefiting people, investors, society, communities all around the world. And then we'll also talk about those policy discussions. Uh, and then the next day on that Wednesday, March 22nd, we're hosting Blockchain Education Day. It's been a couple of years since we've done this uh, because uh, the Congress basically shut down. They weren't really allowing the public to go walk the halls of Congress, but we're inviting the entire industry to come to DC and meet with their elected representatives. So we're looking to have a large group of investors, crypto users, 
leaders, industry executives, industry people uh, join us to meet their member of Congress, tell them about what they're doing, tell them why this industry is important, and give members an opportunity to talk to their constituents so they really can understand what's happening um, in, in the, back in their district. So we've got a big week planned that week. Everybody's invited. Uh, Hope Ridge, Real Vision will be there too. I know you guys were partnering <laughs> with us for that last year. Um, and then the policymaking moves forward. We are in a little bit of a defensive posture given the huge uh, challenges we saw in 2022. But overall, we are very optimistic. We have significant champions throughout Washington. Uh, we doubled the size of the Congressional Blockchain Caucus in the previous Congress. A lot more people understand this wow. technology and have become active supporters. Um, so we feel like we are in a good position despite the, these broader narratives that you're reading in the mainstream media. Uh, bring in the crypto buzz to DC. That's what it's all about. Perian, you have Real Vision support there. I will send Ash out there for you. So that's very exciting. And just the connection that you're making um, for you know anyone to come and, and join this event, that is something really cool. And I think actually a state that I think needs the crypto buzz. Um, and DC is a very important, unique patch, of course, uh, to have this going on. Now, as you know, in the world of crypto, it's all about community. It's all about dialogue you know how interactive this show is you know we are live on facebook discord so it is time for some viewer questions because the experts that we bring on it's not easy it might seem it's just easy clicking on youtube we have to correlate these experts uh, and to match up with the time for this show so um i'm going to jump in straight into some viewers questions and i'm going to bring ash and perian um and you can put your hands up first who can take this on so the first question comes from jay radway in our discord our 5000 pro crypto plus members the smartest bunch in the space and he is asking more bad news but bitcoin is rising what world are we living in has crypto released all the black swans yet ash you want to go that you want to take it first <laughs> uh well they haven't been priced in yet I think there are, um, you know, maybe we call them gray swans. We see uh, obviously some challenges with DCG, obviously some challenges with Binance as well in terms of the news headlines. Uh, so, uh, you know, this this question about where the rising risks are versus the price action, I think is an important one. Uh, have all the black swans been released? I think the definition of the black swan uh, is that you don't know if it's been released. Uh, so I would say uh, always obviously look to think about what could go wrong in a space. Uh, it's an important thing, particularly if you're thinking on a shorter term basis Elaine. And to our 50,000 plus followers on YouTube, who is getting a notification for when we go live, we have a comment from YouTube. And I'm going to point this to Perian. So Jay Hyatt 139 on YouTube is asking, do you think the reluctance of policymakers to bring a light touch approach to crypto, similar to the beginning of the internet era, is because crypto is situated closer to monetary policy? Yeah, I think that's um, absolutely a factor. At the end of the day, uh, digital assets are a paradigm shift in the financial and monetary system. Um, the, the technical leap of Bitcoin, the first cryptocurrency, was it solved the double spend problem that uh, internet entrepreneurs and pi pioneers had spent decades to try to solve. So thanks to Bitcoin, we can now send financial transactions peer-to-peer -peer online without the use of an intermediary. And there's a lot of middlemen and intermediaries that are going to be disrupted. Those intermediaries, uh, many of them are very powerful and they've, they've got armies of people uh, lobbying on their behalf. So 
at the end of the day, this is superior technology to the current rails we use in the financial system. So I'm very confident this is where the future is, but we've got a lot of battles and we're seeing those play out in real time. Yeah, yeah I'm gonna stick. Sorry, Ash, go ahead. I, I absolutely agree in terms of uh, building a better mousetrap. This technology is extremely promising. The promise of decentralization, uh, the promise of technology to do things faster and cheaper and with greater functionality than we've ever seen before. That's why I'm so passionate about this space. Uh, that's why I'm here. Uh, but let's flip the script and talk about the opposite side of the equation. And the question specifically is, is this because it's close to monetary policy? I think as Perry-Ann said, that's one of the factors. It certainly is close to monetary policy. And if central banks lose the ability to control uh, the levers of uh, essentially being able to moderate interest rates and employment growth, uh, obviously that's something that's critical to nation states. Uh, but the reality is that this cuts close to a lot of sort of very critical things uh, in terms of the role of government and there will be pushback and there will be challenges and it won't be a smooth kind of even uh, ascent uh, up to uh, utopia. There are gonna be these challenges in the space. But again, you know, the reason that we're here is because it does have so much promise. Okay, and then we have a Ralph, happy Friday to you, our very active visionary who always joins us every day in the Crypto Daily Briefing without fail. He is asking what are the top three politicians, uh, no, sorry, what are the top three political predictions Perian would make for crypto in DC this year? Have you got a crystal ball there, Perian? <laughs> uh, well, <laughs> Uh, I mean, I've got to talk through the priorities. So, you know, I think a lot of the bills that were introduced in the previous Congress are going to be uh, re reintroduced. So, um, stablecoin legislation, you know, I, I think we will see federal legislation building a federal regulatory regime for stablecoins. I also talked about market infrastructure. So, there was the Lummish Gillibrand bill, uh, the Financial uh, Innovation Act that was introduced last Congress. I think that's going to get reintroduced and make more progress this Congress. There was also the DCCPA, this was the Ag Committee's bill, the Digital Commodity Consumer Protection Act. Uh, I think we will see that reemerge. And then I actually think we're gonna see new market infrastructure bills come forward. And then also that uh, enforcement, I think we are going to see a big focus on enforcement from the agencies um, in the near term. Mm, thank you for that. Now, for those of you watching on the Real Vision website, Thank you. If you haven't signed up there yet, check it out on realvision.com forward slash crypto. That's the best way to get early access to Real Vision crypto content. Now, we just released Rao's new interview with Kevin Rose. That's him with his moonbird hat with Crow Crow. They like to call him on the Twitter timeline. All you have to do is watch it today. Sign up for free on our website. Again, that's realvision.com forward slash crypto. And if you are watching on YouTube, please like and hit the subscribe button so you can get the notification when we go live. A little bit on the key takeaways, another fascinating conversation today. Perry and I can't thank you enough for being here. Anything on your final thoughts and key takeaways before we leave you? Yeah, again, I, I think this is incredibly promising technology and uh, digital assets are, are here to stay. Uh, we are in the middle of some battles to reach mass adoption, um, but I'm incredibly optimistic. I think uh, Bitcoin, you're talking about price of Bitcoin. I think fundamentally it's undervalued and I think we'll see, um, I think we will see another bull market as we get closer to the next halving um, in the early part of 2024. Yeah, I think my key takeaway is definitely, you know, a whole subcommittee has been formed to solely concentrate on crypto 
we are not going anywhere. All right. Thank you for coming on the show, Perry uh, Ann. Thank you so much for uh, having you with us. Great to be here. Thank you. All right, and thank you, Ash. So, for those who are you who, for those of you who are watching on YouTube, if you're not a Real Vision subscriber yet, don't forget it's free. Head over to realvision.com/crypto and subscribe. Hit the notification bell for good measure as well. That way, you will always stay up to date with the latest crypto news and analysis. That's it for today's show. The show will be off air on Monday for Martin Luther King holiday here in the US. We'll be back on Tuesday. Uh, Andrew Keys will join us live. See you on Tuesday at noon Eastern, 5 p.m. London time, live Real Vision Crypto Daily Briefing. See you then.